Hey, it's Lou Carloso, the host of Bankadelic in Chicago, and I'm a huge fan of our sister podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify in London, and what a guest they have today. It is Henry Bai, the CEO of Standard Chartered Bank of Jersey. He's got close to a quarter century of experience in banking, and he has a lot to share about the revolutions with banking and mobile technology going on in Africa a quick note before we get to it. The views that Henry expresses today on Dave and Darm Demystify are strictly his own and not those of Standard Chartered Bank. Now, I'm going to hand it over to Dave and Darm, and here we go. From the studios of Contrarian, new media in the UK and US, comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome, everybody, to this week's show. And this week, we are absolutely delighted to have a very, very special guest. His name is Henry Bai, and he is the CEO of Standard Chartered in Jersey. So, Henry, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and what you're currently doing? My name is Henry Bai. I'm Ghanaian. I, I come from Ghana, from the southeastern side of Ghana. What shall I say? Shall I say I've been a banker all my life? Because I've done 23 years now and it's all been in banking. So out of that 23, I've done about 18 years with Standard Chartered. So I've been in and out of Standard Chartered, more or less. And I've done two years with Barclays and I've done four years with another local bank back in Ghana. And my last role was quite interesting because I was looking after retail banking for Ghana and West Africa and Standard Chartered. So most of my career has been in retail banking. I've done a bit of corporate banking, but I've largely been in, in the space of retail banking. And the reason my last role was very interesting was, you know, I got a call one day from my original boss and he said, Henry, come over and give us a plan on a digital banking platform in Cote d'Ivoire and use that as a springboard to launch to other countries. I did not have a clue what a digital bank was at the time. We just had to kind of start working through. I remember my first task was to look for everybody who was going to be involved and invited all of them. And I said, if we're going to pilot this in Cote d'Ivoire, then we better meet there. So I invited people from everywhere, from Dubai, from Singapore, from everywhere. <laughs> and I brought all of them together in one room. And that's how the discussion started about this digital bank, which the bank has rolled out now. What so, year was that, Henry? This was just a couple of years ago. And I have to say that as I'm speaking, the bank is done this pilot in Cote d'Ivoire and has rolled it out in a number of other countries across Africa. In fact, the number of holders of the mobile account is in the hundreds of thousands, which has totally beaten anything that was done on the traditional 
platform in the past. So that's something I really am excited about, but I do have a background in many things. I've done almost everything you can think about in retail from running a branch, from being a salesperson, from running wealth management to distribution to lending. So quite an interesting background. And recently I had the privilege of being part of an eminent panel of judges who judged a global fintech competition to look at various fintechs and what they're doing. That was an amazing experience a few months ago. So that's me. And Henry, can I ask, do you have any background in technology or what's your experience of technology in your career? Well, I don't have any background in technology at all. I started off studying accounting and then I went to study finance and then I got into banking. So all I have done is to kind of translate what the real face-to-face client experiences are and take them to the tech people and say, how do we map these journeys? And I think that for me was the biggest learning in developing a digital bank, right? So what you do is take the journeys that the clients walk and say, how could we digitize this journey? And you find that something that probably takes you three days to do for a client can be done in three clicks. And I think that's how transformational that process could be. Of the CEOs I've spoken to, right? You make it sound so simple that's how you do digital and it is you know that's how you do it you understand the customer journeys but so many of other banks that i've spoken to you know they've really struggled where they've got no background in technology but you seem to bridge that gap with comfort i think really everything and that's one of my biggest learnings as well everything is about the client if we just understand many of the times what most organizations end up doing is that First of all, we think about our own internal processes, and then that becomes the problem. But if we just think about it from what does the client want and how do we get the client that, then we start building our internal processes and policies and stuff to map that journey rather than first start from our internal process and say, what does our internal process say? And I think to do things like digital banking and stuff like that, you've got to have that kind of blue sky thinking where you start from a whiteboard and say, How do we do this for the client? And I think that makes a lot of difference. Yeah, I mean, as Damish says, though, it's incredible how often people don't start with that perspective. And I think it's really refreshing to hear somebody who is the leader of an organisation who's kind of really driving that client agenda. So I think it's fantastic. Mm. So, I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to chat to you today was about innovation in Africa as well. So, you know, it's interesting that you've just come from launching a digital banking project in Cote d'Ivoire. But I think, you know, Africa's known perhaps more for its digital wallets and its mobile wallets. And, you know, we had a little chat last week about that. And I was just so interested in your insight around the growth of mobile wallets in Africa and the reasons why that's happened. So I just wondered if you could kind of share some thoughts around that as well now, please. So mobile wallets are a very, very interesting phenomenon. I'm sure you would know that mobile wallets started sometime in 2007, 2008 in Kenya. It was launched as M-Pesa. And at the time, there was something very interesting. Kenya had come out of an election and there was a post-election crisis and most of the country was shut down. And the stories were that people were stuck. For example, somebody who wanted to transfer money to their grandmother in the village they were stuck because you couldn't travel around the country safely and so 
you know, there was a thinking about how do we do it? So people did all kinds of things, including at that time, you could actually send mobile airtime to somebody. So somebody actually sends a mobile airtime to an agent in the village and say, can you transform that into cash for my grandmother? And this is how the conversation started. And having the country closed down, as soon as the solution was launched to say, now you can do this, it absolutely caught up like wildfire. And so suddenly all over Kenya, MPSA just started blazing like fire. And I think that was important because again, comes back to what I said earlier, this was about a client journey. To transfer that money to your grandmother or your auntie or somebody in the village, you needed to either get on a bus yourself and take the money, or you have somebody who is going to the village and you give the money to them to say, can you give this to auntie when you get to the village? Or you go to the post office. Those days you could do some money transfers through the post office and so on and so forth. And so if you understand that all this person wants is that you're sending money and they want to receive it at that end, how they receive it is totally immaterial. And I think that is what led to this thinking. So that's mobile telephonic companies stepping into a space that other financial services companies were supposed to be solutioning and just taking that over. And I think it's been phenomenal because suddenly mobile telephonic companies have become like financial institutions and people actually keep money in the form of an e-wallet or an electronic wallet on their phone. And they can actually move this money around to do almost everything. They can use it to buy airtime. They can use it to pay anybody by the roadside and so on and so on and so forth. Today, there are over 144 different services that are being offered on mobile money platform around Africa. Yes, lots and lots of services. And I think the beautiful thing about how mobile money has worked in Africa is that it's been built on an ecosystem. It's not like, okay, Telecoms companies just come in and do this, and they do it alone. But it's based on an ecosystem. So telecoms companies are involved. Definitely, there must be a bank at the end. You might call it almost the physical cash in a bank account. But the e-wallet is created on every mobile wallet, and there is also a shadow account that holds all the funds that are being held on this mobile wallet. Then there is the fintechs. Fintechs provide through APIs rails on which funds can be transferred from a wallet to a bank account. And this has also been held by national switches. So in some of the countries, national switches have been introduced, which enable you to move money from the wallet of one telecoms company to another, to a bank and back. And then there are fintechs in the middle who provide what we call aggregator services that enable you then. So if there is an aggregator who signed up a number of, let's say, a hotel, a restaurant, all of that, through an API, you are able to assess all this, what you call billers, through these APIs of these aggregators. And I think one of the most important players in that are the mobile money agents. These are just small, 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 tiny shops that are scattered everywhere in the country where you can go to take out cash, to pay in cash into your wallet, move money around. If you don't have a wallet yourself, you can actually take cash to them. They can move it to somebody who you want to pay and so on. So it's a whole ecosystem of different, different institutions and national infrastructure that make this work. And I think one of the latest introductions to the whole mobile money service is lending. So now telecom companies are lending, which you would have thought are just the preserve of banks. So if you have a wallet, yeah, so you have a mobile wallet, you are able to buy airtime. They use how you buy airtime and all the various things you do with your wallet to kind of establish a pattern of behavior, almost like credit scoring, to be able to determine. So this is doing 
micro lending all around and wow. so you know people can take small small loans and anytime that either they move money to their wallet or they buy airtime money is taken out of that to pay back these loans and it's amazing how that has suddenly opened up financial inclusion so let me just walk you through a few numbers on what this looks like so as at the end of 2019 there were over 400 million mobile money subscriptions across africa mind you africa's population is a little below a billion that tells you the scale just under half the population that's amazing <laughs> correct and this has happened in just 12 years so, so that just tells you how this is done. Mobile money has leapfrog card payments. Traditionally, Africa was not very strong with card payment infrastructure. So card payments didn't take off and become for everybody like the way you would find in Europe or parts of Asia and so on. So mobile money came and took that space. I mean, the question that comes to mind is why didn't the banks get to the answer first? What's your view on that? Why didn't the banks get there first? Why was it left to a telco? Well, good question. Good question. Banks didn't get to it first for reasons that are very difficult to explain. But I would say that, number one, banks typically are very risk averse. So banks don't want to take certain types of risks. They believe that, oh, you know, you've got to be careful about telcos came in with a lot of innovation and they were willing to take risk and invest. And I think that's one of the things. It also points to the fact that banks cannot do everything. Clearly, if banks were to be the ones issuing these e-wallets, the routes they would have used, number one, they couldn't have done it alone. They would have needed fintechs, yeah. and ultimately they would have needed telcos. So I think it just points to this whole concept of collaboration and ecosystem taking over the phrase competition. Collaboration and ecosystem taking over competition. You are in tech. In the tech world, they call it co-creation. So yeah. it stopped being competition. Initially, banks actually started seeing this as competition, and that's what hurt them the most. So by the time banks could actually get involved and see that we also have a part to play in this whole mobile explosion, it had gone on quite a while without them. But thankfully today, banks are very much in there. Banks are able to participate in that. So mobile money is just growing about 456 billion USD of transactions as at the end of 2019. Wow. So this is huge. 23 billion transactions were done in South Saharan Africa in 2019. And with COVID having happened this year, I'm waiting to see how the year will end in terms of those numbers. This is probably going to grow at about 30, 40% this year with the way wow. COVID has happened. This is just how revolutionary. It's it absolutely been. extraordinary, to be honest with you. And I think one of the questions that I've got is why Africa hasn't got a kind of larger share of voice in terms of fintech and innovation. Because it sounds like there's a burgeoning ecosystem there, which is, I guess, on par with what perhaps is going on in some Asian countries as well. So, mm. you know, to me, it's kind of really, really good to understand. Full disclosure, both I was born in Kenya and Dharmesh was born in Uganda. So we're very pro-Africa in terms of our views around the potential for the country. And moving on, what sort of potential do you see for Africa as a kind of driver for financial innovation? It sounds like it's off to a good start. It is. It is. And you're absolutely right. It is a hugely undersold story. I think the story of M-Pesa is well known. People have come to study to see how it worked. Is it something that will work in places like Europe and Asia and so on? In some parts of Asia, 
They absolutely need mobile money. If you look at some of the economies in Southeast Asia, they've got a lot of commonalities with some of the demographics of parts of Africa. So that's the next corridor where this go. But you're absolutely right. This is a huge land, the sole story, but the potential is massive. And you see, the reason the potential is massive is think about it. Probably 50% of Africa's population is below 25 years. What does that tell you? These are digital natives. They live their lives in the world of digital. We have just really scratched the surface of the opportunity. That generation of people, and once you move that age up to about 35, you're talking 60% or so of Africa's population. Now, think about 35 and below, and the massive potential for the future if these guys are living in that world of digital there's a huge penetration rate upwards of 60 percent across africa of mobile phone technology and in some countries you won't believe it but in some countries mobile phone penetration is actually more than 100 percent in places like ghana nigeria south africa kenya they're upwards of 90 percent there is a burgeoning fintech entrepreneurship spirit across africa there are many incubators growing in africa where all kinds of ideas are being born which have really helped this revolution and today the good thing is all of them are seeing themselves as part of an ecosystem where each person's technology or platform feeds into the other person and can provide solutions the other thing is Agency banking is one of those things that I almost can say was born in Africa. So you've got all these small, small wayside shops where you can actually go and do your mobile money transactions. Now, what has happened is that banks and other financial institutions are beginning to tie up with these telcos and use these merchants as their agents. So let's say you want to pay money into your bank account. You don't need a bank branch infrastructure in that remote place. You can actually open an account digitally with the bank. You can go to that mobile money agent and be able to pay money into your account now. I mean, I just had to ask before we finish, you've ended up in Jersey as the CEO of Standard Chartered Offshore. And I was kind of interested to understand what lessons or how you've taken the lessons over the last few years, how you've brought them to Jersey, what you see the opportunities for offshore are. So that'd be great to understand. The biggest lesson for me coming out of this experience is the fact that I didn't need to be an IT person to be able to understand and make a contribution. And so since I've arrived in Jersey, I've been very much a part of anything that has to do with digital, having lots of interesting conversations, contributing to ideas. But I think the lessons for me really is one must always remain open-minded about business opportunity. Because if you're not open-minded about business opportunity, something happening could actually be eating up your own cake and you would not realize it. So these telecom companies in Africa were beginning to eat the cake of the banks and the banks were initially caught hands down thinking, what is this? How do we do about it? <laughs> no, they are competition. Let's fight it. But at the end of the day, they realized, no, we actually needed to collaborate. And that's the second lesson for me. The whole concept of collaboration rather than competition, I think it's a very, very powerful lesson I carry with me. So I hardly think about competition these days. I think about where is the opportunity? Who do I need? How do I collaborate and how do I get it done? But also never settling because you see when you build some of these solutions like i was talking about 144 products and services on mobile money platforms they started as probably just two solutions just being able to buy time with your wallet or being able to move money from one wallet to another you know that's how it all started two products and then it started going on to cash in cash out and started going on to one thing and it's become just a myriad of solutions so never settle in finding 
solutions even when you have a platform built that you think is the best platform continue to find ways and that's why i think building platforms using agile technology becomes very important because then whatever you do is scalable and you can always keep moving it on and i hope i'm not getting myself into trouble using terms i don't understand no 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 it sounds like a very reasonable use of all the terms one thing that i have to say is that just listening to your energy and passion around the whole digital space is just very inspiring. So uh, not only just the experience that you've had, but the way that you talk about it is just so eloquent. And I'd love to see more of the big bank CEOs speaking the way that you do with such enthusiasm. So I really, really appreciate your time in the podcast. Thank you very much. Fantastic chatting. As I say, we could have gone on and on. There's so much more I'd like to know and understand, but perhaps we could have a follow-up podcast at some point. Absolutely. Thank you, Damesh, and thanks, Dave. And I think it's important for me to make it clear that the views that I express are my own views and based on my own research, but not that of the bank I work for. Perfect. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.